Hey everybody, Alex Simmons here. Just a quick pre-show message. Um, there may be some little sound glitches uh, during the episode. There was some crazy weather going on when we were recording. So bear with it, okay? Because the episode is definitely worth you listening to. We've got some great tips and some great comments from people. So bottom line, stay with us to listen to Chris and I tell the damn story. Definitely ready now. <laughs> Alex, what happened? Looks like you had a bad what week. To your face? <laughs> That's so funny that he's got this mask on. It's like a rubber mask. It's halfway between Robin's little like diamond mask and the old man makeup Peter Gabriel used to wear in the early days of Genesis. <laughs> So it's like the aged Green Lantern is coming yeah, to see you or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm vibing. I'm vibing all of those things. But actually, what I'm wearing, what I grandpa, I'm, it's it's Grandpa John Stewart. No. <laughs> when you clean up your house, okay, this is just something everybody knows. When you clean up your house, when you go through boxes and things you have not yeah. touched in a gazillion years, right? right. Find stuff. Normal people oh, yeah. find old letters, right? right? Maybe a college or high school sweatshirt or, or sweater. Right. So I, where's this mask I think from? I find this mask because Chris and I met years ago working with a children's um, not-for-profit uh, arts organization called Bronx Creative Arts for Youth. Yes. And we helped the kids do a lot of original plays, you know, original stories. We would write some of them. Sometimes we work in workshops with them to do and create these shows. One of them was called Star Child. Right. And I forget who the artist was, but someone made, because it was supposedly, you know, outer space, aliens, all that. Someone made masks for half the cast to wear. Oh, that's cool. The aliens. Is... And this is oh, one of them. I have one of them. And I... It is so beautiful. cool. I'm so glad I still have this. That was fun. Wow. That was fun. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Alex, uh, as usual, is underselling himself. What uh, uh, he and Bronx Creative Arts for Youth did during the late 80s and the 90s was uh, they took kids off uh, what were essentially crack corners uh, in neighborhoods that were in a crack war. I was a reporter. I used to put body counts on the front page because mm. of the crack wars. And he would take, literally, take them out of the line of fire and teach them theater skills and social skills. And uh, we still uh, hear from oh, some yeah. of those members. And they are, it's beautiful to see uh, where they have gone. Yep. And that is yep. uh, fantastic. So he'll never he'll tell you that he was a hero, but he was, in fact, a hero. Oh, and he, uh, yes, I'm telling all you right. that story. <laughs> all right. Yeah, right so, um, so what are but you anyway. up to this weekend, uh, or this week there, sir? What have, what have I been up to? Okay, yes, so this As week, we warm up here, what yeah, have you been up to? Three things, three things. Domestically, uh, we're having some work done on the apartment, and so it's moved stuff out of one room into another. And people coming in, workers coming in and doing all kinds of plastering thing and putting in windows. It's crazy. Try working in that environment. <laughs> okay. wow, yeah. Yeah, try working in that environment. But if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have found the mask. So there you That's go. That's right. So that was one. Wow. Uh, two, uh, and there'll be more talk about this over the next few days. Um, the, one of my arts organizations that, you know, that I co-founded is called Kids Comic Con. And you may have, I may have mentioned it on some of the episodes. But anyway... Um, we have a fundraiser coming up February 1st here in the Bronx, wow. right? Mm -hmm. It's called, um, it's called a K K KCC wheelchair basketball fundraiser. And oh, very cool. Good event. Yeah. Good event. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I just, we'll talk more about that, but you know, obviously to produce never, the event. Never too soon. Never, never too soon. Never too late. Right. <laughs> Except the day after. But, too, <laughs> never too soon to promote. So yes. February 1st, wheelchair basketball. Where is it going to be? What's going to be for? Let's talk about it. it well, okay. So it's, uh, again, for Kids Comic Con, which is a not-for-profit well, not organization. It's a not-for-profit initiative that we've been right. doing 13 years, doing annual events here in the Bronx, uh, usually on the campus of Bronx Community College. It's a yeah. comic book day, a Comic Con day, where families and kids can come in a, an appropriate, safe environment. 
and truly all, all ages events. All really ages, all, all ages, but all age appropriate material. So you know, right. you have to worry about you know extreme sex violence, all that sort of thing. Hey. Uh, at least not 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 at the event. And um, you have uh, comic artists, writers, and who are there, professionals who are there to do workshops with the kids, do portfolio portfolio readings, look at their books and stuff like that. Kids can buy books. We can attend. Um, they can, with their parents, attend workshops, uh, panels, all of that. We've been doing this, you know, with, with support of uh, Bronx Community College, um, certain publishers, uh, which again go into. Mm -hmm. But we've been doing this for. It'll be it's it'll be 14 years this April 25th when we do our our 14th okay. annual event. And so, and if we, people want to, uh, if they want to. Find out more of the event, or uh, donate, or right. somehow help these fantastic uh, all-age appropriate, all-age uh, event. Uh, who do they contact? Where can they get more information? Well, okay, so the uh, just because I realized I jumbled things up. The fundraiser itself, the wheelchair basketball fundraiser, is February first. Our annual Comic Con well, event. Well, wait, wait a second. February first, where? Where? Oh, you really want to know where? Okay. No, it's true. February 1st, it's going to be held at University Heights High School in the Bronx. I don't have the address in front of me, but I will... We can, we can Google Maps that or whatever. Yeah, and I can... University also, Heights High School on February 1st. What time? Right. Uh, and from 1230 to 330. Beautiful. And, right. Uh, the the door Saturday. proceeds goes to Kids goes Comic Con. Kids Comic Con to help with all the various outreach and, and also the annual event that we do. All right. And uh, Kids Comic Con. Two, Kids, Kids Comic Con right. is on what date? April 25th. That's another Saturday. And what location? Bronx Community College in Colson Hall. And what uh, hours? From 10 in the morning until 6 in the evening. How do you like that, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, there we go. You just kept me <laughs> right on the Mark your calendar down. So, um, uh, uh, was that two things or three things? I think you said you had three things. That was, that was two things. Um, okay, what was so the third one, Renovations, the Kids Comic Con event, and also uh, I'm working on a couple of projects of my own and trying to get those uh, up, and one of them is a writing uh, council, uh, consulting and coaching uh, service that I'm doing. So the, the week was very focused. I also, also, I taught classes at the New York Film Academy. Sure. Uh, do that periodically too. So I got to work with a number of students from different countries here, you know, for six months to a year studying filmmaking. And I teach screenwriting. So it was great working with them and pulling their, helping them pull their ideas out of their brains and putting it onto the computer or onto paper and getting those ideas out so they can start producing their, their, their small and short films. So it's awesome. been very artistic, very energizing, really, really fantastic day, a week. Beautiful. I'll give you three things as well. Okay. One, go for it. uno. Uh, uh, spoke with the editor that has been working on um, City of Woe, and we agreed to go further. So she's going to now read it with all the changes I made and all that sort of stuff. And it's really exciting. You know, I, I didn't expect to be this excited um, about things. Uh, you know, because until you experience it, you don't really know what the experience is, right? So um, uh, it's been delightful. So we'll see. Stay tuned. We'll see whether that goes. Two, uh, got, I got my high school students to write a collegiate level MLA essay using two pulp stories. One from the 1930s from Black Mask magazine and one from Shotgun Honey's uh, website. Shotgun Honey uh, is the company that published your work, one of your pieces, right? Uh, well, the, it, here's the here's the tie-in. Um, the pulp piece from the 30s from Black Mask, from uh, an author named William Cole, had a female lead. And I was looking for a piece uh, with another female lead so we can talk about uh, agency and all that sort of stuff and the power... Um, uh, power shifts and power dynamics and all that sort of stuff. And um, I realized that the piece that I was, that Shotgun Honey was kind enough to publish for me, uh, female lead, would work really well and very different uh, agency than the 1930s. So we used those two. But I didn't want my name to uh, distract. So I took my name off it for the class purposes. I needed mm -hmm. you know, 
uh, would talk about women having to use initials. You know, Chris, uh, it's starting to break down. Repeat that because um, there's been a little slowdown. I don't know if it's recording that way. We're we're recording on Skype, folks. I don't know if it's recording that way, but we lost a couple of words because you took your name off because. Well, I I didn't want the students to be distracted. Oh, you wrote this, and then you don't get Uh to see the story. Um, And then I said, well, we can do an additional teachable moment if I use two initials for the first name, because, you know, S.E. Hinton, J.K. Rowling, on and on and on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we can talk about that inherent sexism and all that sort of stuff. So um, I was looking around for a name, and as occasionally happens while we're recording, the dog came in. Uh, and um, <laughs> the dog's first name is Sonny, and uh, every once in a while he sounds like one of those old deli guys who's walking around, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we started calling him Melman, Sonny Melman, and I just uh, we needed a middle in, a middle name. And uh, after much uh, scrutiny of possible names, uh, we decided that his full name, the dog's full name, is now Sonny Aloysius Melman, Sam. and uh, that that made S A Melman. Yeah. So S A Melman wrote it, uh, and it it worked out fine because they were not distracted by the name at all. They were able to discuss and and really go deep on uh, the, I wanted them to generate their own take and their own topic as you would in college. So we wound up generating about 30 different possible topics uh, and they wrote the essays on it. And the, you know, I told them arbitrarily, I told them they had to pull out four quotes per paragraph. Uh, You know, each of these stories is like two pages long. So it wasn't like they had to do a ton of research, but they right. wanted to get them used to it. So they wound up uh, doing that. And the only thing that happened was that about six of the students um, referred to uh, S.A. Melman's uh, uh, story. So now the dog wants royalties. So, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> it was really cool to see them use pulp and use uh, a more modern text to um, to do the issues that they were having a hard time getting to with the canon. There's uh-huh. nothing wrong with the canon, uh, but the students I have were not embracing uh, the canon. Um, the AP does, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, it wants to be in English, right? So um, the challenge with this course, and I, I wrote it for this year, is um, can we use other material to teach the same skills and pull it out? And so far, I've been pleasantly surprised. We got to keep going. But there's some good news. And then I got in trouble this week. Uh-oh. Uh, last week, you and I talked after the recording, and I said, you know, uh, we Skype it. We have a video recording. I want to do an experiment. I, I want to put it up on YouTube. And you were like, okay, I'll send it to you. Hooray. So I did. And it's on uh, uh, Chris Ryan Wright's channel for YouTube, right? So I shared it like I usually share, like I share the audio, but I shared also the YouTube. And um, because we talked a lot about uh, one of Alex's obsessions of late, Little Women, uh, I thought, well, that's pop. Personally, folks, that's the movie. It's the movie I was obsessing about. (laughs) Well, I... Wrong with what we happen to be talking about the movie, yeah. Um, but I thought it was pop culture enough, yeah. I put it in my usual pulp places because there was nothing pulp about oh. last episode, oh. but I did share with um, a very lo- local uh Facebook page. Um, you know, you know, you're from blank when and it, you insert the name of your local town. So I put it up there because, you know, I've been living in the town for over 20 years and I'm pretty sure some people would be interested in this. Um, and one woman was really mad at me. Really? Why is this here? Because uh, it might be of interest to the people who will go to the movies and, you know, uh, are you posting this? I've lived here for over two decades and, uh, but but why is it here? I said because people in our town read and watch <laughs> movies and and have conversations. And I thought it might be of interest. It's no charge. You know, we make no money. 
we're just sharing something that might be of some interest. And she just kept asking. And I realized that what she really wants is stories about people who grew up there and memories. She wants a lot more. It's more, she wants it to be more of a nostalgia page. So my last comment was, you know, to, what was her name? I said, you're very inspiring. And uh, she kind of gave me a smiley face. I'm not sure she understood what that was, but um, I created a new page for the town, name of the town, Life. And uh, the idea is just to share, you know, so someone's got a, a soccer game. Uh, uh, here's highlights from the tennis match or here's, you know, the, the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts are, you know, doing this or, you know, the, this play is coming or I just put one up because it's snowing out. Right. Um, and that will be a place where I can share, you know, like the YouTube of this. Yep, and, <laughs> you know, what do you think? I just put um, I put a question a stranger stops you in the name of our town and says, I'm really hungry. Can you suggest some place for me to eat? And I said, what are the top three places in town that you would, you know, and we'll see, I generate some stuff and, you know, and all that stuff. But I tend to get anyone angry and I didn't see you coming from, you know, the neighborhood, but, uh, <laughs> It's just, you never know. So uh, it turned out to be a good thing. No, you don't. Um, I don't teach you. Uh, yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, I also want to talk about, this is getting closer to where we're going, you know, well, well, we're main main event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing a podcast. I love uh, podcasts. I watch, po- I listen to podcasts all the time. Uh, it's time to talk about, uh, to, to blow the horn for someone else, Okay. A uh, guy you know. I tried. Um, hope, uh, just in case you're listening to the audio, that was from his mouth, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, I want to recommend for everyone, uh, uh, people of a certain age who like comic books, um, Brian and Chris Holden, who writes, who's written like everything, right? Both of them have been written comics. Uh, Christopher has written uh, books for oh my, just about every franchise. God Chris, bless him. Chris, Chris all over the place. Is, is he's out there writing. I think every day he's writing something, you know. Yeah, it's really You're amazing. Comics, comic, the, graphic novels. Yeah. On top of that, they do this podcast called Defenders Dialogue. And they're celebrating the weird and wonderful Marvel Comics line from the 70s. So they've been at it long enough to go through the entire run of the Defenders. How long was the Sorry? How long did the Defenders run? I mean, oh man, a hundred and some odd issues. Okay. Maybe a hundred and fifty, something around there somewhere. The exact uh, plus, right. uh, and let us know. You know, plus giant-sized Defenders and all that sort of stuff, and they would occasionally have to take a, a side trip to Marvel Team Up because some character would be in there. Oh, okay. and, and then they did um, the little four-issue miniseries of one character or the other that would be of some, of some interest. Just, just to, just to, to be Well, who were the members in the Defenders? Well, it started with Doctor Strange, the Hulk, and Submariner. And then it was Silver Surfer as well. But then, man, it became... Or B characters, developing characters. You know, you had Nighthawk, you had Valkyrie, Hellcat. The Beast was there for a couple minutes. Um, sort of like their uh, Justice League. Well, no, no. This was <laughs> no, no. Uh, this would be like just Justice League on mushrooms. That's what this would be. Um, they refused to call themselves a team. Oh, we're not a team. We're a non-team and, you know, whatever. That was a big issue. Um, okay. And they, uh, they had the weirder uh, storylines, um, uh, the stranger villains and that kind of stuff. They did have infamously uh, the Avengers Defenders War was where a lot of people got to see them. And uh, on Netflix, it was a Defenders made up of an entire different lineup than, you know, what was known here. But still, that kind of by being a team, but the need is to work, you know, that sort of stuff. So they did that, 
And then they did the champions, which was, I think it was maybe 12, maybe 20 issues. And it was a West, it was an attempt of creating a West Coast team. And it was, it was a team that had no business being together. It was like Hercules. It was a bunch of unemployed X-Men. It was like Angel and Iceman, Hercules, Black Widow, and Ghost Rider. These are not, it's not a team that goes together. Um, and they finished those two runs. And now they've decided that the next run. Oh, we're back to Chris. Chris and his co-host. Is right here. This is. Oh, wait. Uh, hold that up again. Hold, that up. hold it up again. A little longer. There you go. And what's at the bottom of it? Because we only see. We I only will see read that to you. I will, I will read that to you, young man. Okay. So it's Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Marvel had licensed Godzilla and one or two other characters, a couple of the other characters. And then they unleashed, um, it's a 24-issue run. And uh, Doug Munch, uh, Herb Trimpey, Jim Mooney, Tom Sutton. And, uh, Jerry Mendes as a beaver. <laughs> it, begins, it begins with um, uh, Toho Company, right? They're the guys who put out the movies in the 50s. It's very much like those movies, you know, uh, Godzilla comes out of the ocean and starts stomping on things, right? Um, the, the, there's two twists. One, he comes up on shore on the west coast of the United States. And two, uh, you take that kind of feel of the 50s Godzilla movies and add to it uh, the Marvel treatment, you know, so... You know, on Marvel art, it was, you couldn't just punch someone. It was like, very dynamic and what. Well, Godzilla's in those poses, which is really, really funny. And then, uh, because this was the 70s, you know, the writers were also a um, little counterculture, you know, and they'd have these little political jabs. Yeah. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you a panel, a very early on, this is issue one. And then I'm going to read you... Uh, one narrative box from it that is just gold. And uh, Brian King and Chris, Chris Golden, they, um, they both pointed this out. And uh, I went to the goddess and said, if, if there's a copy of this, you know, collection in the library, can you get it for me? Right now, it's, it's really ridiculous to buy this on Amazon. Why? Uh, so you can get your hands on it through a library. I, I do not know. I, I must tell you. <laughs> I but we look, look it up and you'll be amused at how expensive these things are. But so here is, let me see if I can get to you here. Look at this. this is, wow. He is in Alaska. He comes ashore Alaska and this is the Alaska pipeline that he is pulling up, right? And freaking everybody out. Um, but here's what Doug writes. This man, the vampiric thirst of America, will just have to wait. <laughs> Chris, no oil for you, America, because Godzilla's here. And okay, I got to tell you, you got to repeat it again crazier. because it froze again, and we only got bits and pieces. Godzilla, you froze it, motherfucker. So don't even show us the picture. Just read it. I, Maybe. it I am now just going to do a recitation of the <laughs> writing. Yes, right. <laughs> the writing god that is Doug Punch. Um, as far as this mammoth monster is concerned, the vampire will just have to wait. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it, the uh, the Godzilla's the star, and and his, so the people who are trying to take him down are uh, the B team from S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick Fury is usually busy, but there's another helicopter uh, carrier that is um, commanded by Dum Dum Dugan. Oh, jeez. And uh, Gabriel and Wu, also formerly of the Howling nice Commanders, are also out there. We got Very diverse team. In America. It's, it's like the uh, early version of the uh, United Colors of Benetton, uh, right there. Um, <laughs> but they try it. They try and fight him, and and Godzilla just destroys their jets, and he's just fantastic. Um, and as the series goes on, like he faces off against the champions and the Avengers, 
Man, this is just howling good fun. You know, if you love the 70s Marvel comic, this is one of the more offbeat uh, ones, but just pure Marvel uh, uh, feel and a lot of fun. And to hear Brian Keene and Chris Rome talk about it, man, I'm having a great time. So it's Defenders Dialogue. And if you like this kind of stuff, look it up, listen to it. You can probably go all the way back and listen to the whole run. I did that over the summer. Um, But, man, and there you go. We've talked a little bit about social media, social media, and it brings us. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Our writing segment. It's time for writing class, ladies and gentlemen. Let's so, hear it for I'm to tell you a damn story. Get your right on, girls yes. and guys. Our get right on segment. Yes, here we are. So, uh, Simmons Alexander on Instagram uh, asked the question, a writing question today, and we're going to repost it on uh, Tell the Damn Story. Yes, we are. Um, and as people again, see what they have to say, but. Uh, there's a really a, a cool bunch of responses. So we're going to do our best to uh, we're going to read the question and the possible answers, and then we're going to read the comment section. And Alex uh, will we'll discuss or advise or comment as we go along, um, as, as in service of our get you right on uh, lesson or segment today. So if I may, you may uh, the legend that is Simmons underscore Alexander mm-hmm. on Instagram writes uh, this um, multiple choice question to, to spark sure. well, yeah. the conversation. And he writes, uh, you, you know him, he writes, uh, for you, what's the hard part of writing a story? Or B, characters. And C, story structure. And then Alex wrote, uh, that's you, Alex. Yeah, that's uh, me. I remember as, me. That's right. As I work with my students, both in screenwriting and novels and comics, certain questions pop out of their age or gender or point of origin. So I thought I'd drop three of the most popular ones right here in this post and see what kind of response I received. Which of these three is the most challenging to you? And which of these three do you think will be the most popular challenger? Want to know? <laughs> so uh, I tell you what. Very often uh, you do a question like this because social media is so it's like a tsunami of information every day, right? And very often. People ask, and they won't actually take the time to respond. But we got a good number of responses. Uh, yeah, and we'll read a few. So uh, here we go. The, the real Tamara Robinson writes, sitting down to write it. Yes, uh, a laughing emoji. Um, Dr. Janine Scarlet Official is... T- Teaching me the ways of the Jedi of daily motivated writing. Hashtag so much to learn. All right, Alex, what do we have to say to uh, the real Tamara? Well, yeah, I, I, I would have to say most writers uh, face some form of this. It's motivation. And people like to think, oh, well, we wait until the muses hit us. You know, we feel inspired and the lights go on and the choirs sing. And then we sit down with our pen and paper. We sit down to our computer and the words just flow trippingly from us. But eh, no, not on not when you're you're working on a large project, sometimes not even a short one, but not when you're working on a large project and you have to keep going like Chris's novel or something like that. Every day you have to put in your reps, as James Clear likes. But you got to sit down and you got to do some work. You got to produce something. And so I find that on those days when the muses wake up late or Mm -hmm. they go out to lunch and they didn't tell me, you know, I still have to say there's a time when I sit down and I, uh, as Chris likes to put it, let it suck. So in other words, I just write. I I, I may not like what comes out, but I cover a certain amount of time. Like you can say to yourself, always let it make it suck less. Yeah, right. Um, you can have a certain amount of time. You say every day at you know at X time, I'm going to sit down and write for 30 minutes. 
you know, and I'm going to work on the project and write for 30 minutes. Wants me brilliant 30 minutes, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to sit and I'm going to do that. And if you keep producing, and I tell this to my students, if you give yourself 20, 30 minutes, just that little bit of time every day yeah. working on the project, you are advancing. You can always go back and fix and edit later, you know, but each day that you don't produce anything because you're waiting for the muses, you're waiting for the answer, the revelation, the great dialogue, every day you don't produce is a day you lose. And the more you yeah. lose, the more momentum you lose, and the more discouraging, disparaging, or overwhelming the project can become. So I say definitely give yourself a, a goal of each day accomplishing X. You fill that in, how much time, how many words, you know, however you want to look at that, and then do it. And don't judge. Don't be the editor and the writer at the same time. Uh, just, just keep going. Um, I would give two other things. Mm -hmm. uh, great trick if you're like, ah, oh, but I can't get started. Okay, at the end of a, each day, end in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a sentence, where you're further enough along that reading just that sentence, you'll remember where you were and finish that sentence. Oh, you're already writing. And then you can keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, um, we always have a minute somewhere that we're thinking about the writing, you know, on every, everyone has a phone now on that memo pad. You can write down a snippet. You can write down. I, I have them around. I use that memo pad, a snippet of dialogue, a scene idea, a character idea, a name change. I know I created a, a character today. that one to make sure I, I got it what I wanted it to be. You can take a minute somewhere, or if you're on the train, if you're on the bus, you know, if you're uh, eating lunch, you click something, else, and then you you use that. To use that time, yeah. Okay, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna go to the next one. Ah, here we go again. Christian Darstar writes: Story structure is most difficult. Putting the character traits in an interesting way. So two different things. Story truck structure is most uh, difficult, and then putting character traits in an interesting way. So what can you say about those two? Well, I mean, story structure is, there's a beginning, middle, and an end. That's, that's, your, that's your basic journey right there. How you get from the beginning to the end is based on genre, the, the actual material that you're writing, uh, how well you know your characters, how well you establish in, in rough form, thumbnail sketch if you want, or outline, uh, the order of sequences or events or scenes that have to happen in a sequential form. Now, that all sounds like a big mouthful, but basically what I'm saying is envision your story as best you can. I think you told a story about, was it Joyce Carol Oates? Joyce Carol Oates, yeah, yeah. Right, who goes on a run every day. You know, it's her exercise thing. She goes on a run every day, but while she is running, she is thinking about her story, the next story she's working on. She's, she's seeing it. Seeing it in her head. Exactly. She is putting it together scene by scene by scene. And she said, and I'm quoting Chris, who then read her and quoted, she says I, that... I heard her. You heard her say this. I was, yeah, I was... Uh, since she was a guest, and she told us this. The, the essence of, of her methodology is she visualizes the entire story, however many runs it takes. She visualizes all of it from beginning to end, sees it like a film in her head before she will start writing the story. Now, that's one methodology. Another methodology, and one that I use more often, is I may have random scenes and things come to me, but I create a loose outline. And when I say loose, I mean loose. I build up what I believe needs to happen in a sequential order in the story so that I can figure out certain climactic points, uh, certain plot points and then reveals and things like that. But it's very loose. It's loose for two reasons. One, in creating the outline, I'm not trying to write the story right then and there. I'm giving myself a map as if I'm saying I'm going from New York to, to, to LA. I'm driving. What's the route I'm going to take? And then I give myself the freedom to go off on side roads, to take take an exit and check out a small town or however you want to look at that metaphor. I know that as I write the story, it's going to develop and things I maybe never thought of are going to come up and there'll be changes and all that. So I'm not married to, I'm not rigid about the outline, but at least I have a guideline of where I want to right. go. That helps me 
get going. And every day that I sit down to tackle whatever the writing project is, I have an idea of where I left off and where I need to go. And the other thing I do is I, I don't make myself write in sequential order. Sometimes if I'm struggling with a certain scene, and I'm going, ah, it's not happening, and I want to get some writing done, and the other scene is going, yeah, but I'm here, I'm ready, I know what's going to happen. I'll go, okay, switch over, and I'll write mm -hmm. that. And then I'll come back another time to the scene that I was having the most trouble with. So I think that structure-wise, plot it out. Like I said, you have a very loose outline if your head works like that. If you're not Joyce, you know, plot it out in a very loose outline from beginning to end. Don't worry about any kind of major details. Just he has to go to the, the store at this point. When he's coming out of the store in the next scene, that's when he sees such and such. You know, and you just do that. Very Keep it very simple. A sentence, maybe two. And as far as um, character traits, uh, Chris and I both adhere to the belief that the more you know your character, the more they tell you what they're going to do, what they think, how they're going to react to a given situation. So I spend a certain amount of time developing a character bio. And I won't say how much time because it varies. And yes, you can do it just with, with your leads as well as your supporting characters. But the more I feel like I know how they talk, I know how they feel or they react when I'm writing, the more they really, it's almost like they play out the scene for me. And that makes it easier for me to write. And that subsequently, you can then do a first draft and then think, you know, I really think that if in that scene that I wrote where he's in such and such his office, he would take a drink from the scotch. No, he doesn't like scotch. He drinks, uh, yeah, he drinks, he, he drinks uh, vodka. Yeah, and so right. that stuff starts to happen as you're working on the script, maybe the first draft, maybe the second, maybe the third. Maybe you, you, right. you find new traits each time you go through the story, as long as you're not, what I like to call it, gimmicking the thing. It's not about gimmicking. It's about being true to the character's nature so that it supports, or as you like to put it, Chris, so it serves the story. Yeah, that's my, that's my holy uh, uh, edict there. I'll mm -hmm. give you a quick, couple quick things. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the Joyce Method. We have the Alex Simmons Method. Uh, I do a little different. Uh, my randomness is earlier on. You know, before, about a project I just took on, um, self-directed. No one mm -hmm. hired me. Uh, yeah. 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 So uh, I grabbed a, a, a thick uh, pile of index cards. And what I do is I put a character name or a scene, you know, one or two words that would evoke the scene in my head. And that's on the side of the index card with no lines. And on the other side is every idea I can think of for that scene, for that character and all that stuff. And I put it there. Now, eventually what I do is I'll put them on a big table we have and get them in a rough order. And that's my rough outline. And it'll sit mm -hmm. next to my laptop as I go through so that if a scene comes up that, oh, it's not on the index card, but I think it needs it here, I can put it in. And then what, what goes next, I look at the what's next on the loosely ordered uh, mm -hmm. um, pile mm -hmm. index cards. Now, this is where Let It Suck comes in, right? You take the information off the... Uh, index card and you write the scene as you think it should be and worry about editing. The idea is to get through the pile, get through the first draft, right? And uh, another thing I do when I have a file is I have another file called uh, character and uh, character list. And as a new character come in, I'll put it in that list and one or two things about them. It might be uh, drinks burn. Mm -hmm. or you know whatever and as i'm coming and new traits are coming i'll also put those notes in that character so if i come in later in the scene and there's a, a drinking situation i don't remember who's doing what i'll go and i'll have most of it it's not perfect but it it'll cover most of that. that's a, a tip for you um then the idea is to get uh, a, a third file open called you know extras whatever maybe the name of the you know city of woe extras or whatever and then if when you're going through the draft, you think, oh, this, uh, I don't know what to do. I have to rewrite this or then take it out, you know, or make a copy of it. If you're worried about it, it might be, you know, the, uh, the, the, the passage that will change the world and bring along world peace. If so, just copy it or cut it and put it in the extras file. So you'll always have it. Remember to save the extras file. 
saves the uh, character list every once in a while. What I have found is that for every novel I have created and never, ever gone back and pulled anything out of it, but it allows me to keep going. Right. So right. those are, you know, those are tricks. You let go of the panic of, all that. I've lost that forever. You let go of the panic yeah. of that. Yeah. It's really whatever, whatever moves forward, whatever moves the project forward, right? Because you're in the draft version. Right. Letting it suck. Rewrites is where you'll you know fine tune. Okay, next. Before you go to the next one, I just want to back you up on one thing. Uh, for those of you saying index cards, oh man, I have to go out and buy. Yeah, you could do that. It's not that big a pain. But whatever works. Also for you. point out yeah. that there's software. You know, when you you write your your uh, names and things on index cards, you were talking about yeah. that. I was saying, yeah, you can do that. You can actually go buy actual index cards and do that. Yeah. Or there's certain software, screen, screenwriting and script writing It'll software. It'll do the same. It has it built in. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, either way, and, folks, that's not a stumbling block. You know, and anyone born in this century, right, will say, yeah. I'm not doing what that old users, the software. And if so, that's great, but the concept remains the same. Yeah, right? absolutely. I like that's moving stuff same. around on the table. You like moving it around on the But God bless you. All right. So next, Lumenfelder. I find story structure the most difficult for maximum suspense, among other things. In other words, I find that how to tell the story is the most difficult. I wouldn't be surprised if that were the majority. That's it. So, so uh, Bob, <laughs> Robert here. Yeah, story structure, you know, can be difficult. Um, it depends on a number of things. It, it can sometimes depend on how, how much writing you've done. You know, are you sort of an aspiring and you're still in the trenches figuring it all out? Or if you're, you know, you're moving through your career, but you're, you're working on tougher material. Or again, sometimes a novelist who's written a number of books or stories hits a subject matter or a particular tale, a particular story that's just a challenge and a half. Um, I think the general rule, and again, you know, writers, we have different methodologies, we have different mindsets, we're different people. But I think a general rule can always be give yourself permission to screw it up. Give yourself permission to make mistakes. Give yourself permission to write something that just sounds terrible to begin with. And then give yourself permission to go and rewrite it, to go back at it. Mm -hmm. If you're having yeah. trouble figuring out the sequences of scenes, my rule is always go back to how would this go in real life? Because I find that sometimes, you know, we get so caught up in imagining something fantastic that we think if I can't come up with something fantastic and really clever here, you know, it's not going to be worth it. But and we get caught up in that that maze. But if you go back to the simplicity of, OK, so if somebody was actually going to uh, let's keep it really basic. Somebody who's nervous and has never used a gun before is going to commit a robbery and walk into a bank and try and do it. What would happen? How would that go in real life? And if you work through the sequence that might actually happen to human beings doing this, you find a way of structuring your scene. And then you just apply your characters to that scene. So if a bank robber who is bent on this and is not like your guy goes in with confidence and everything and is shouting out those orders, but your person is timid or new, is desperate, you know, someone needs a, an operation, there's no other way to get money, he's tried, we've gone through the story and his journey watching him or her try to get money for this loved one who needs this operation, then they're going to come in there in a completely different frame of mind. But you at least know the steps that would be involved and right. you just take your character through that. And I think that's, that's one thing about story structures that I would say. And the other thing yeah. is I don't, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, with, with the students I have, a lot of times it is story structure that holds them up. But the, the thing that I, I feel in the five years that I've been doing screenwriting, I've been teaching screenwriting, and then the umpteen years I've been teaching the other kind of stuff and doing it, but listening to other people, um, dialogue. I don't know what to make them say. I don't know how they should say this. Those are like forever questions from yeah. any age group, from any gender. That is the, 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 the holy grail of questions. And what am I going to say to that? <laughs> but, yeah, what, what am I going to say to them? No, what, what do I, what would, yeah. how, would I, how would I respond to that? 
Oh, yes. No, no, you get to say right. that. Go ahead. Go ahead. You say it. But two people in a room, let it suck. Just just write, <laughs> write, you know? And and the same thing with preparing for this stuff, you know, the read all the time. I mean, if you're going to do a bank robbery scene and research all the bank robbery movies there are or bank robbery books there are, you know, you mm -hmm. were you, you were given a scenario that right right and uh, this generation may not have seen that movie but if you're going to write that scene you really should see that movie right mm -hmm. and then you say well that's what they did but my characters would do ah there you go right so again you know feed the muse all the time feed the engine feed the engine bring stories in and then you're adding your life and also listen listen it's not Observation of life is not just what do you see, what do you hear, what do you smell, what do you feel. These are, this is why we have these, these various senses. If you have them, I mean, I'm, I'm going to put myself in a <laughs> non-PC position and say if you, are, if you are a sight challenge, you know, or something like that, then there are other um, senses that you'll be using. But the bottom line is if you are not sight or, or sense challenged in any way, it's not just about what you see. How do people talk? You know, if, and if you're creating characters that you don't know, that you've never been exposed to, then you do the homework and you listen to, to, to that dialogue. How do they pick their words? I often talk to my students when, when they have a, a scene that's involving a number of people. I say, well, where does this character come from? What's his or her education? You know, what kind of culture are they on? Where are they born? You know, what's, the, what's their, their dominant language? These are questions that you can ask yourself and then begin to figure out, okay, how would someone who, let's, as an example, say, you know, is a professor, Harvard, the whole, the whole upper educational, you know, uh, Megillah, how does he or she um, speak and present their, their, their arguments, their conversation versus someone who comes from a an, an, an totally uneducated background or comes from a very limited background in terms of education? How do they put together their phrases? So these are the things you think about when you're thinking about dialogue, and this is what I share. The, the bottom line is, you know, do the research, you know, w whether it's live or, or in books or in film. Yeah, and I, and I would just add that uh, there is no uh, shortcoming or handicap or um, uh, birth defect or anything that has blocked uh, writers from writing. You know, we've right. had blind people, we have deaf. Um, who did Teddy Duke portray? Oh, uh, 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 Helen Keller. Alan Keller actually wrote a fascinating, eventually figuring out how to do it, a fascinating piece, right? Right. Um, we've had uh, characters with every ailment, uh, fantastic stories about them. So, mm -hmm. you know, turn that into your unique perspective. Whatever you were born with, in whatever life you have led, that all can feed into your unique perspective. Right. Uh, let's go to, um, I have to uh, beg forgiveness if I'm pronouncing these Instagram names incorrectly, but Akinziart uh, says, thanks for the question. I think C, which is uh, story structure, I think, mm -hmm. is the most challenging. Though when writing, I don't have too much trouble <laughs> discerning. Oh, That's oh. a, a lot of O's. Uh, or he did. Uh, discerning too much trouble discerning what happens next. Uh, what my illustrious teacher has massively shown me, by the way, that guy right there is her teacher or his <laughs> teacher, I, I, obvious, um, is that we need to scrutinize what should happen next for best effect and best support for the next scene and overall through the story. Parenthesis, part C can occur after part A, but uh, part B should be in there somewhere. End quotation, <laughs> close parentheses. I believe she is quoting one Alexander Simmons. Would yeah, you yeah, care yeah. to comment? Yes, no. Well, one, uh, uh, Akeen, or Akeen, he is quoting me, uh, and he is one of my students, and I'm very excited to be working with him uh, on a project which I can't talk about because, hey, it's, you know, it's a baby. But a, a number of the things that happened during that project were things that were close to him that he sort of 
didn't know he had in him. So that's a good thing to, to watch when uh, a, a, I won't call him a young creative, but when someone who's new to a particular experience begins to find their power. I think that's that's a cool thing to watch. And it was great working with him on that. And I'm waiting to hear back on how he's doing on the, the last stage of his of his story. Um, but into um, he was saying, again, story structure. And we've talked about story structure. And I think, again, what he's saying sort of adds to what I said earlier about different writers, different mindsets, different skill sets, uh, personal experiences, whatever. We all basically face the same challenge, how to put the pieces together, not only so they make sense, which is a logistic, mm -hmm. but so that they are engaging and compelling and people want to turn the page they can't wait or if they're watching it as a film they can't wait for the next moment because they're really caught up in not just the story not just the plot but they're caught up in the characters and they can't wait to see what happens next uh, i think you know the number of movies that are out there with some outrageously great you know special effects and cinematography and that's nice if you want to look at pretty pictures and special effects but if i don't care about the characters and I'm, the story is not interesting or compelling to me then I've wasted money. So I think, again, you need to work the story out as best you can loosely, start to write that bad boy, get that first draft out, and then the rewrites come. And in those rewrites, just like Chris is doing with uh, City of Woe is the one you're working on, correct? Right. That is correct, sir. When did you write the first book, the first one? Oh, let's say a decade ago. Okay. So maybe, maybe maybe I started it 15 years ago, and I was um, it started out uh, as my um, my final project for uh, grad school, and mm -hmm. the requirement was three stories, and I said, "Can I write a treatment for a novel?" And I handed in 500 words, <laughs> 500 pages. That's crazy. I wanted to say a couple of things. Uh, Kinsey, I, apo I apologize. Please forgive me. I didn't look at your picture, so sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and as uh, do your character work and um, throw your ideas, brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm. And that, those things have to happen uh, before you sit down. Uh, Panthers would say no, you know, but they all do it. Even Stephen King was says, I just sit down and write. Yeah, but he's going for long walks and he's thinking about things, you know. Yeah. I, I love uh, quoting Chuck Dixon. You know, he says, uh, you know, even when you're mowing the lawn, if you're thinking about a story, you're still writing. You know, <laughs> so you don't always have to be tight, right? So, yeah. I um, think as far as uh, these guys also give us permission to do these things. So I cannot say that enough. Give yourself permission right. yeah. to to dance with that concept. You know, let it yeah. let it come out of you. Don't don't judge it. Don't cut it off at the knees. Let it come right. out and then work with it. Um. I want to address one thing you were talking about, um, you know, big specials and all. The uh, Academy, the Motion Picture Film Academy, is, has been really uh, backlashing against Marvel movies. You know, they're not real movies and all that stuff. They're, they're, they're um, park rides and all that stuff. I respectfully uh, challenge them uh, to watch them. You know, um, yeah, there's a lot of action and a lot of sort of stuff. But one of the great character arcs of all of film history is that of Tony Stark, Thor, and Steve Rogers across 23 films. Mm -hmm. You have three who start um, there. All of them are very much lacking something. And they go through the ascension of man to the highest potential of humanity by that last movie. And uh, I dare you, I double dare you to name a film that can accomplish any of that. Yeah, they did a, they much, they had a much broader canvas to paint on, but they mm -hmm. took that risk and it didn't necessarily have to work out. For um, as much of it to work out, I'm talking about character and performance rather than bombastic special effects. For as much of that to work out, and for people who love uh, that, that deserves more respect than you're giving it, in my really humble opinion. Now, back to this before someone yells at me again. Okay, 
That, that lady from social We're gonna media get will be trouble. back. That's okay. Why are you posting trouble. this case? So, we can handle trouble. Um, we had a couple of people had brief. Uh, Mofo Man 68, all the above. Babs Darling C. And then we had uh, Dr. Sheena Howard wrote characters. And interesting with good enough backstories and traits. Figuring out or figuring how much to reveal about them in ever, any given story and making sure their voice is consistent. These are the challenges. What would you recommend in addressing these challenges, sir? Well, doctor, please. Hey, thank you. It sounds so cool to be told the doctor thing. You know, as I feel like, yes, well, my opinion would be. Uh, uh, by the way, she's the, she's the last comment we'll have. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, but you know, she's saying keeping them authentic. I think that is brilliant that she said that because that is really the challenge. I, I constantly remind my students and myself, but mainly my students, about stereotypes and the limits of it. And I don't just mean racial or, or religious stereotypes. I'm talking about you know the, the common denominator of and what used to be the big one years ago is you know blondes are dizzy you know, that kind of thing, or that if it's a female, she's going to do this, she's not going to be able to handle such and such, or if it's a young male, this is going to happen. You, you play to these, tr these, these one-dimensional stereotypes, and you, 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 you really do not serve the story. You do not serve yourself as a writer. Uh, having your characters authentically, as realistically as you can, you know, even if it's a comedy, come from that, that, real, that, that authentic place where your characters are reacting the way we as the audience, human beings, can in, be sympathetic with them, engage them, or recognize, oh God, I know somebody like that. That is what you're going for, because the more that happens, the more your audience is pulled into the story. So I think, again, homework, research, these are necessary things. Uh, figuring out, you know, research tends to imply there are things you don't know, that you need to go looking for elsewhere. But even in terms of working with characters, if you have an uncle or an aunt or a best friend who has a particular trait that you, you pick up on, you know, oh yeah, that's always it. If that fits with your character, pop it in there and use it because someone's gonna go, mm, I know, yeah, my friend someone that does just that. Um, yeah. Was it um, Clint Eastwood? The specific uh, is the universal. Right. You know? The specific uh, behavior. We can all relate to exactly. Clint East, I'm going to say Clint Eastwood for the third time, and then he's going to appear. Clint Eastwood's a movie, Gran Torino. Uh, I've, I've used this as an example numerous times. There's a shot of him sitting on the porch of his house, which is somewhere in Queens, and he's a you know, just disagreeable, just cantankerous, you know, being, right? Lord. Yeah, all pinched up and everything. And he's sitting there in this chair with a TV tray. And for those of you who have no idea what that is, it's just a little tray that you can fold up when you're not using, but you know, it's, it's made out of aluminum or tin <laughs> and it's sitting right next to him. It's got like a floral pattern or something on it, something chinzy. And he's got his beer sitting there on there and he's sitting there, you know, sort of looking at the neighborhood, looking at people go by and, and he's just obviously not happy. And, and the, yeah. the, the moment I saw that shot, I immediately thought of a relative of mine who I've seen do that for years is sit there outside his house and watch the world go by with his beer to his left. And it was like, I was instantly, yeah, I buy this. I'm instantly, I know this guy, or I know this, this moment. And so those things really do make friends with your audience. Your, your audience is more willing to go along with whatever's gonna happen because something has just grabbed them inside. It's made it, it's made it go from plastic to, okay, this is, this is real. I can, I can get lost in this. So I think, again, looking at what you know about your characters, building that bio, whether it's 20 questions you ask about your character, you know, what are their favorite this, where did they grow up, how old, whether it's 20, 40, or as my best buddy co-host here, 170 something, you know, yeah, whatever. some kind of crazy number. Yeah, whatever. I'm trying to figure out the best way to make that per, uh, public. I don't know whether you sell it or whether you just, you know, offer it. I'm not sure yet, but um, uh, I, I'm trying I've, to figure out what the best way to do it. I've offered on our behalf and for me, 20 to 40. That's the max. Mm -hmm. I think after that, if you're not a devotee or a disciple of that mindset, you start to feel overwhelmed. And I think I always say to my, my, my students, you can come up with more questions or different questions. The trick is to make sure that you're asking questions. Yeah. Well, you know, the 
the the extensive question list that I have, uh, not all of them need detailed answers. Not all of them need answers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do help if you come up to a scene, and this approaches the doctor. They come up to the you, you're not sure how that person would and go back to the bio mm-hmm. and what questions haven't you answered that are related to that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I believe, doctor, I believe wholeheartedly in the uh, character bios. Um, and yes, you can do, you know, the, we'll again link this, we link this on almost, uh, this is like the third or fourth or fifth time we've linked this, uh, the, the 20 or so that we have. Um, there's, there's, uh, um, or, for, you know, I do the, I, I do the uh, index cards. You do another method. Mm-hmm. You know, but spending time with your characters, not just the main character, you know, the protagonist, the an- antagonist, you know, top five, easy, top, top six. Um, I, again, working brainstorming today for a couple of hours on this new project, I came up with 12 characters that I, I, I know will show up in this. And mm-hmm. each one got at least uh, at least two or three phrases, if not a paragraph. I you think know, I, I'm sorry. I want to remember you, these things. Uh, the more you know those, the more you know how each character will react to the other character and who would show up in those yeah. scenes. And doctor, I hope that helps you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing she says is um, making them good enough. Uh, for the backstories and so so yeah you know I another thing I say to my students especially the the film writing students screenwriting is the story began your character's life began before the film started you know they are coming from somewhere and unless they die during the movie they're yeah. going somewhere so <laughs> some of them when they die in the movie they still come back yeah <laughs> depending on what movie yeah exactly but the reality again is if you know where they're coming from if you know enough about their background their backstory their history with other characters who are going to appear in this story of yours then you can play subtext and sub subtext you know and on this journey there are plot points there are moments that happen in the story that move you forward to the next moment You'll know where to plant those seeds and how to build to certain, you know, climactic moments, whether dramatically climactic or or physically. Um, I often say, you know, cliffhangers to me come in three categories. There's there's a revelation, uh, there's there's physical danger, right? And then there's the suspense uh, scenario. Black twist, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and so cliffhangers are things that you can use, A, A, to get people to turn pages, or to get them to stay with you for that next moment in the film or the book. And that the idea is, again, if your character came from a particular background, even if we never get to see those other people or that incident, we know what's motivating them at a certain key moment in the story. So that makes it interesting. If you're sitting, you're having a scene where two people are dating, I'll keep it non-action oriented. Uh, when, when you go on a date with somebody for the first time, you have to sit there and talk. You have to you have a conversation, and the conversation needs to be revealing and appealing enough that this person is going to want to see you again. Well, if you're writing this, well, yeah, well, hey, don't even go there. Well, we're I, I was just remembering back to the early days with the goddess. She said almost nothing, and I was so excited to be in her presence, I couldn't shut up. So it worked out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the question then for my story would be, what was she thinking all that time? Yeah, I, I think she was like, oh, this would be good penance. Yeah. No. <laughs> the yeah, do- the doctor has two more, two, has two more things in her comments. Uh, figuring out how much true story, I would say that's one of the reasons why I like the index cards because I can over brainstorm. I can have flashbacks and uh, other scenes and all that stuff, and in when I'm putting them around in order figure out where they need to be in the story. That's why that works for me. Mm-hmm. I also habitually wind up with 20, maybe 30 index cards that no longer fit in that story because I know I knew, uh, I figured out that, oh, people don't need that information or I can convey it better this way. It, it's a way of doing an outline. It's a way of... Uh, the other thing I would say about that 
is that's what rewrites are all about, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and that's also addresses your last thing with uh, keeping the voice consistent. Don't worry. So I have to go back for, you know, first draft, uh, the, the people wiser than me say that's you telling yourself the story. Second one, parent. And the third one is where you polish, where you worry about voice, mm-hmm. uh, assistant voice and all the other nuances and that kind of stuff. What would you say about uh, <coughs> figuring out how much to reveal and keeping voice consistent? Uh, Here's I'm, Alex Simmons, ladies and gentlemen. I would say that, you know, you've, you've, covered, uh, you've covered it nicely. And the only difference for me when I'm writing is that outline, that loose outline that I mentioned. One, that's one place where I think of, you know, as I'm reading through it or looking at it, I go, oh, this might be here where I want such and such to happen or where she'll reveal this or he'll do such and such. And I'll jot that down in there because it's almost like your index card, except it's on usually a larger sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. for me, the other place is in the rewrites. As yeah. I've gone yeah. through, usually, you said it the third time. It's usually about the third or fourth time that I'm starting to spot places where, ooh, this transition yeah, no, it's not as smooth. Oh, I need to mention this here. Or, you know, this scene, this dialogue, rather, her motivation doesn't sound genuine. When she's telling, I don't think that would convince so-and-so to do X. But if I refer to, and so that's one of those places, it's like nuancing the story at this point. Now mm-hmm. you're, you're really finessing things and you're, you're, you're dusting parts off, you're smoothing things out, and you're really getting a sense of, does this tale flow? Does uh-huh. this story really pull me in? Does it cover the bases? You know, am I telling and, damn story? the damn story? Yeah. And at that point, you know the character so much that you might point out and say, so-and-so wouldn't say it that way. That's right. Right? Yeah. And or, what's that, what's like that part of? Yeah, or if you're like me, you'll hear something. I wouldn't say that. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. But, <laughs> but we want to thank we want to thank everybody who wrote in with comments because you gave us an opportunity to not only give you shout outs but to uh, share your ideas and react to them. I hope that this was helpful. Alex is always helpful because you know he's the Alex Simmons. That's the way it goes. Yeah, and, um, and, and you're not, like you're not five days a week. You know, with the wonderful people, two of whom I know personally. Thank you. I've met them after they grew up. But bottom line, are out there as practicing storytellers, writers, and so forth, because you know you were there to support that goal. So you know the light shines on both, right? Okay. There you go. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, go out there and tell the damn story. (laughs) Take care, Chris. Peace. Take care, brother.